This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff, here with Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. Jonathan and I... uh, Sitting side by side in Nashville, Tennessee, home of this year's winter meetings. Um, Jim, I can only imagine, is surrounded by a plethora of golden retrievers uh, back at home. Should I give out your uh, uh, home address, Jim? <laughs> yeah, you gave out my email address. I actually gave out my cell number uh, today <laughs> so, so I can get some holiday wishes number. from our listeners. But uh, yeah, no, that's okay. So yeah, we're uh, we're here in Nashville, and uh, basically, you know, winter meetings every year. We're looking out for trades, free agent signings that uh, could affect the draft order. We got now the draft lottery. Obviously, is a big part of winter meetings for us. And then, as always, the Rule Five Draft. And as we're recording this, we're in between the draft lottery and the Rule Five Draft. So not a lot of Rule Five Draft to talk about. So all of you Rule Five fans out there, there. Or so many of you, we know, um, not a lot here for you, but we're going to talk draft lottery uh, because that just happened. Uh, we're fresh off the draft lottery, second year, and uh, some interesting goings on. We'll talk about that. Uh, there have been a couple trades or one and a half, one and three quarters. There's, there's, there, as we record, there's one that has just been reported um, and both have involved prospects and both have involved former highly ranked prospects. So we'll talk about those. And, uh, oh, the the recipient of the number one pick in the draft lottery, the Cleveland Guardians, uh, we wasted no time. Jonathan rushed out and uh, grabbed the Guardians' senior vice president of scouting, Paul Gillespie. We talked to him. Uh, so we'll get to hear from him fresh off of learning that they have the number one pick in next year's draft. And uh, how else could we wrap up? Oh, no, wait, we're, we're going to talk about it, uh, the Jackson two, the two holiday top and holiday and Cheerio. Uh, a little bit of news about both of them. Big news uh, about Cheerio with his gigantic deal. Eighty two million dollars over eight years. A couple of club options could be there for 10 years and contract you reach 140 million dollars a lot of money and then uh there's talk about jackson holiday potentially making the opening day roster and then no other way to wrap up really other than to answer a question from stevie d so we'll do that all right uh jim you watched the draft lottery from afar jonathan you watched it from a near (laughs) from a near um let's let's get both of your your perspectives uh jonathan up close and personal what'd you think first and foremost i love the draft lottery i just think it it's a nice wrinkle 
it's a lot of fun. I think it creates a lot of buzz about the draft. And I don't even look, I know that they're, you know, the, the hope is that it's trying to make sure teams keep, you know, competing and things of that nature. But I really look at it mostly just from uh, not a marketing standpoint, but I think it's good for the game. People are very excited about it. It garners a lot of coverage. And, uh, you know, I thought they did a, a really nice job with the production this year. But more than anything, I just, you know, it shines a light on the draft. And, and, and it was a lot of fun. And as you mentioned at the top, the Cleveland Guardians, you know, having a, a, a large surprise as the number one pick just sort of adds to the intrigue. Yeah, it was, it was a good day for Ohio. Watching from afar, watching on TV, I, I, I thought the first thing I noticed was I thought the production elements were more striking this year. You know, last year you kind of had these tiny tables and 18, mostly scouting directors kind of sitting at them, not really knowing what they were supposed to do and a camera in their face. And this year we had podiums and it was better lit and it was on a stage and you had, uh, I don't know if celebrities is the right word, but you had, you know, notable we franchise. Had a, we had a celebrity for sure. What's that? Well, oh yeah. But Brad Paisley running the thing. Like I, it sets a high <laughs> bar for Dallas. Like, it, it, it seemed like more of a TV show this year rather than, hey, let's put these 18 guys in a dark room and a camera and we'll we'll do the draft lottery. And I, I agree with you, Jonathan. I don't, I don't know if I'll say love, maybe because I'm not there firsthand to experience it. Um, I do like the draft lottery because, I mean, it, it creates interest in the draft, which I think is good. If it wasn't for that, I, I doubt anybody really be talking about the 2024 baseball draft you know, in the first week of December. Um, but I do think it creates interest. And uh, I do think in terms of, uh, you know, the winter meetings, <laughs> having been to several of them, there's a lot more talk compared to action, like actual moves happening. Uh, but this is like one of the more interesting things that I think happens at the, at the winter meetings every year now. So um, I will give it a yeah, strong a- like. I'm, I'm, I, I won't go love yet, Jonathan, but I'll give it a strong like. That was a very get off my lawn kind of uh, endorsement. There. No, not at all. I'm not. I'm not angry. I'm not looking down at the draft lottery. I just all right. not in love. Fair enough. Okay. Didn't even didn't even put a uh, 2080 grade on it. Um, I'll give it a 60. Yeah, I'll okay. go 70. Wow. I love the lottery, man. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, Jim, you mentioned uh, Guardians being the the big. The big winners, a big surprise. They had a 2% chance of getting the number one overall pick. The Reds uh, had a 1% chance of getting the number two pick after the, after the Guardians had received the number one pick. 5,000 to one odds that the Guardians and Reds would get the number one and two picks. So we're kind of breaking this segment down into uh, winners and losers. Uh based on uh, what happened in the draft lottery. And clearly the, the two big winners, very obviously the Guardians and the Reds. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, even in talking to, to the Guardians, and we'll, you know, you'll hear my conversation with, with Paul Gillespie, uh, they really had no thought that, oh, this could actually happen. It, it, you know, sure, you have to be in it to win it, and there's always a chance, but I, I think they were not, hanging hanging their hopes on on getting the number one pick and then the reds had you know the largest jump 
uh, of any team. What were they? Thirteenth, I think, um, in terms of the 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 odds. Yep, thirteen to two. Uh, yeah, so they went from thirteen to two. Um, you know, so they it's a huge benefit for them. Uh, so two, you know, it'd be enough of a story if it was just the the Guardians at number one, but to have both of the top picks uh be that surprising against those kinds of seemingly insurmountable odds is is really something now I'm sure the you know with the A's Royals and Rockies aren't thrilled about how that uh, turned out and we, you know we'll we'll talk about some of some of them you know in, in a bit but uh from an excitement standpoint I think anytime there's that kind of surprise it's just it adds it adds to the intrigue yeah it was pretty stunning you know and it, it not only do they get the top two picks, and it's interesting. I think we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but I don't think there's a clear cut number one or two guy. There, there's some talented players top the draft, but it's not like we know, oh, hey, you know, the Guardians might be taking Dylan Cruz or White Langford, which is what we probably would have said a year ago at this time. But not only do you move up in the draft and you get better picks, just the financial effect that you get from making jumps like that, just, just looking at this year's bonus pool numbers, which will go up in proportion to how baseball revenues went up this year. But just using this year's numbers, and, and the actual amounts will be higher than this when they calculate it, the Guardians added $4 million to their bonus pool by jumping from nine to one. And, and it'll be more than four when they make the adjustment. The Reds, from going 13 to two, added like $4.15 million. I mean, both those teams are going to have much huger budgets to spend on the draft than... They would have had otherwise, you know, and, and you know, the, the first slot last year or I mean, la- in the last draft was worth nine point seven million. So that's going to go up. Nobody's going to get nine point seven million as number one pick in this draft, at least as we project it right now. So, I mean, the Guardians and the Reds can take the best player and still have a bunch of money they've saved to, to spend elsewhere in the draft. So, I mean, it's this just helps your draft, not just by moving up, but by giving you so much more spending power than you would have had otherwise. All right, so <clears throat> Guardians get the first pick, Reds get the second pick. The next two picks go to two of the three teams that were tied for the uh, highest odds of getting the number one overall pick. The Rockies uh, get number three, A's number four, and then the White Sox uh, get the number five pick, and the Royals get the number six pick. The Royals were the third team. Uh, that had the highest odds of getting the number one overall pick. So the Royals with a, a bit of a drop there, uh, which I guess probably puts them into our uh, our group of, I shouldn't, we're calling them. They didn't do as well. We're saying winners and losers. I mean, we're non-winners. Okay, fine. That's fine. Uh, I mean, much too sensitive here. Control. Jeez. <laughs> so, uh, but they, they, are not the not the biggest losers. Okay, right? No, I, I think they I mean, are the biggest you, losers. You, I, I don't I think mean, the Mets. No, I mean, wait, I, you think the Royals are the biggest losers? Uh, oh, you? I thought you meant those three teams. I thought you meant that that group, that group was not the biggest losers. I thought you were going to make your point about the Mets being a bigger loser, which I was not agreeing with. Well, I'm curious. I'm curious who you guys. I think, think the A's are the biggest Boston. loser, and yes, here's why. Yeah, I agree. Two years in a row, they've had as good of odds as anybody to have the number one pick. And instead, they pick sixth, 
which is the lowest lottery pick. And because they're a revenue sharing recipient, they can't get a lottery pick for more than two years in a row. So they got the worst lottery pick two years in a row when the odds were that they should have had, you know, could have had the top pick back-to-back years as much as anybody. And now the A's, I feel comfortable saying the A's are going to be terrible next year. They're going to be awful. They're going to lose 105 or more games. And it doesn't matter because they don't get to pick higher than 10th. So the A's got the 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 lowest I'm sorry, this year they picked fourth. I, I misspoke. But, right. but they got, instead of, they, they had a good chance to get the number one pick both years. Instead, they're going to pick six and four, and now they can't pick higher than 10 next year. So I think the A's are the biggest loser. And, and last year when they got the six, number six pick, it was in yeah. the draft that had five, five great players. players. Right. And and then this year they move up two spots in a much murkier top of the first round. at least. Because to me, I mean, I'll say right this. Now. I don't think there's much difference as the draft looks today between picking fourth and seventh, like if it were me outside of having the extra money, if it were, if I was in a position like the A's or the white Sox, cause the white Sox go, they're a revenue sharing pay or they can only have a lottery pick one year in a row. I would rather if I was A's or white Sox pick seventh right outside the lottery, than pick in the lottery. Cause the white Sox are going to be bad next year too, and be banned from picking above 10 next year. I mean, do you guys agree with that? Would you, if you're those teams, would you rather pick seventh this year and keep your lottery possibilities yes, open next sure. year? Yeah, oh, without without question. I mean, to that point, you know the the Royals obviously you know had a chance to uh, be one of the one of the, the the top picks or get the number one pick that as good a chance as anybody. But at least last year they fell out of the lottery, so. You know, they they were very close to being in the same boat as the A's, but they have another year where they can be involved in the lottery at least. So that makes them, I think, sort of on the second tier of uh, non-winners. And, and you know, and yeah. just again talking about the financial ramifications, if we take the three teams that all had the highest odds and kind of average it out that they would have the second pick, um, the A's from dropping to two to four lose about $2.3 million. The White Sox going from four to five, it's not that much. They lose like 500,000, but they're, they're banned from the lottery now next year. And the Royals going from, you know, we're thinking they're going to pick in the top three to six that cost them about $2.3 million. And, and they, they went backwards last year too. I think they went fifth to eighth, if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, yep. So pretty harsh. Although again, if I'm the Royals in a way, I'm almost, well, I shouldn't say. I'd rather pick in the top five last year with the five guys who were on the board, but the right. only silver lining is they're still alive for the lottery next year. It's uh, that's right, and you and you you want to be alive for the lottery next year more than you would this year. Well, right? I, I, I I mean, at this point, based yes, we th- we think more. that based because I don't think this year's draft. I think it's it's kind of fringy right now, but I, I just think in general if I'm not picking like one or two, I mean, it depends how many guys are in the draft. I'd rather be alive for the lottery. I'd rather give me the seventh pick and keep me alive for the lottery. Yeah. I agree with that with the chance to maybe get Ethan holiday next year. Now, another team, we talked about how the A's white Sox and Royals were impacted. The Mets, uh, a very interesting situation because they were eligible for the lottery 
Um, but they're also getting docked 10 spots uh, because they went over the uh, competitive balance tax threshold by over $40 million. So if they ended up getting a, a top six pick, their second pick was going to get dropped 10 spots. The, those first six picks are protected. But when they didn't, and they had like a, a, a nearly 50% chance of getting one of those six picks. When they didn't, they that dropped them all the way down to 19. So basically a flip of a coin between getting a top six pick and then picking number 19, and that's where they end up. You think Kumar Rocker was like pumping his fist if he was watching the draft lottery when he saw that? That's, just, that's not nice. Well, they were nice to I'm him not- when they didn't sign him. I mean, Steve Cohen kind of... If he stuck was, the knife in him as they, they didn't sign him. So I, I'll say this. I have a philosophical question for you, not specifically with the Mets. To me, you know, if, like, you know, if you're trying to restrict teams from, you know, spending wildly, you know, which is why you have this penalty in, in place, you drop 10 spots. Why shouldn't it apply even if you have a lottery pick? I, like I, I th- that rule doesn't make sense to me the way they apply it. Like, if if the Mets, you know, they went way over the lottery, ta- the the luxury tax threshold, they had a bad season. Too bad. You should drop ten. So like having your second pick move down ten spots isn't really much of a deterrent at all. I mean, it, nobody asked me to write the CBA, but no. you should get penalized more if you spend a lot of. Well, money. that's what I'm saying. Like philosophically, you should if you if you, if the rule is your pick drops ten spots, I'm fine. Get, Mets get the number one pick. They pick eleven. You know, at the at the very least. I think if you go past that threshold, maybe you should be ineligible for the Yeah, lottery. it just seems odd to me that like you could spend wildly, have a disappointing year, and we're going to penalize you. But hey, if you get the number 1 pick, we're not really going to penalize you. Right. Like, See, this way if you're in if you're ineligible for the draft and you have a really bad year, then maybe you still pick 7th. Right? So, you get a chance to kind of reboot because things haven't gone well, but you're not being given the ability to to pick, I'm dropping you know, ten out. spots from seven. I'm making them ineligible for the lottery and dropping ten, or and put them, them or okay. put them in the lottery. And if All they right, win, Trish. they just drop ten. Like, All right. All right. Uh, that is what happened in the draft lottery. Oh, what else should we? Uh, you know, the, the Yankees and the Padres also were eligible for the lottery, uh, but did not get a top six pick. So their first picks also dropped ten spots, which puts them at twenty five and twenty six. Uh, we learn more about the draft order, it, it, not just uh, you know the first the first round, but we found out uh, now what the competitive balance round picks look like, and those look like this uh, competitive balance round A. Well, first of all, there there are a few picks in between the first round and competitive balance round A. You know, at thirty one and thirty two, your prospect promotion incentive picks. We talked about this last week, I believe. D-backs pick at 31, Orioles at 32 because Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson won Rookie of the Year after being on the opening day roster for those teams. And then the Twins have garnered a compensation pick uh, when the Cardinals signed Sonny Gray. So they're picking currently at 33. And then we have our competitive balance round A goes like this, Baltimore, Arizona, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Colorado, and Kansas City. And then your competitive balance round B picks, which come after the second round. So these 
uh, as it stands now, are picks 69 through 76. Tampa Bay, Milwaukee, Seattle, Minnesota, Miami, Cincinnati, Detroit, and Oakland. And guys, what I find most interesting about this is going back to competitive balance round A, where you have the Orioles and the D-backs and the Guardians. So you have two teams that were very good this year in the Orioles and the D-backs who also have those prospect promotion incentive picks. They're also picking, uh, you know, toward the back end of the first round. Right. Was it three, three, uh, three picks in the top 35 for both of them? Yeah. I mean, and, and the, these are really good teams already who are going to be able to potentially load up. I mean, and Jim, you talked about the money being as much of a factor as the, the picks themselves, but guys, these, these two teams are, are, Looking good here for for next year's draft. Yeah, I mean those prospect promotion picks are going to be worth about three million dollars in bonus pool money to each of those teams. Um, I have a question, and I honestly don't know the answer to this. Jonathan, I've I've dubbed you many years ago the czar of the competitive balance mm-hmm. round. So I, 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 I'm asking you this question: How, how do they title ever. how do they determine what order those picks are in? It's not based on one loss record, obviously. No, there's. There, there, yeah, there is a there is a formula. There's a formula that uh, takes into account uh, a combination of um, market size. Market right? size. It, it, it's a complicated formula that we don't aren't privy to uh, the the entirety of it. Because <laughs> um, I don't. But it, it seems like they could just say so it's compli- revenue. Yep. It's revenue winning percentage and and market score. Uh, for teams that fall in the bottom 10 in revenue or market size. So, and it changes, yeah. right? So two years ago, there were 15 teams. And then last year, there were 14. This coming, you know, for the 2024 draft, it'll be the same 14 teams. And basically the teams that picked in comp round B now pick in A right, I, and vice versa in a slightly different order based on this formula. So do you want, do, are you rewarded for a good winning percentage or are you rewarded for a bad winning percentage? I would imagine bad winning percentage. Yeah. It's like, I don't under, I, I, well, I'm glad I'm not the only one who doesn't know exactly. I mean, like, it feels like you could, you could just say, Hey, if we have this really complicated formula and then just be hanging out in the back office, eh, we'll give Orioles 34. Or D-backs 35. <laughs> we're we're going to go into the office and there's like a, a dartboard. Yeah. That's the complicated formula. Yeah. A's have been difficult this year. Just give them pick 76. They can pick at the end of round B. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I was curious. So, sorry for distracting us. Taking us off. I mean, it's relevant. It's okay. Yeah. So the the draft order is more or less set, uh, with the exception of we still have some uh, free agents who were offered qualifying uh, qualifying given qualifying offers and uh, rejected them. And now, if they sign uh, when they sign with another team, if and when they sign with another team, there will be comp picks attached to those. But more or less, we. We now know the draft order. Uh, you can go to mob.com slash draft and check out the full draft order there. Uh, and leading things off next year will be the Cleveland Guardians. And we had a chance to talk. Jonathan had a chance to talk to their vice president of scouting, Paul Gillespie. We're going to listen to that when we come back right after this on the MLB Pipeline Podcast.
Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jonathan Mayo here, uh, still in Nashville. The second annual draft lottery has just been completed. And the Cleveland Guardians, with a 2% chance of getting the number one overall pick... Got the number one overall pick, and here to join us on the pod right now is their senior vice president of scouting, Paul Gillespie. Paul, thank you so much. Hey, Jonathan, thank you so much for having me, man. Super, uh, super exciting time. When the, uh, we woke up this morning, probably didn't think we'd be in this position, but it's a uh, you know, 2% chance, holy cow, but uh, it's, uh, it's awesome. We're, we're super excited. My understanding is that when you guys were informed, there was like sort of a shock. There was, you guys were almost joking about like, all right, we have a chance, but do we really have a chance? Exactly. There was a, definitely a, a great deal of, uh, of shock value. We were all kind of watching it, watching it together in the suite, and uh, when we kind of, you know, you kind of start reading the reading the tea leaves, and uh, it was uh, I got it got really loud really quickly. Yeah, are you a, are you a, a fist bump kind of guy, a high five kind of guy? Like, what was your your initial reaction? I'm a high five and like hug kind of guy <laughs> no, no, I think that's fair you know I you know, I grew up in in the New York area and I remember when they had the NBA draft lottery and the Knicks got Patrick Ewing well they got the lottery to get Patrick Ewing and Dave DeBusher who was you know former Nick yeah like I think that cemented lottery as good TV because he just everyone is all <laughs> the, these very stoic executives and he just gave this huge fist bump I was so excited <laughs> for getting the number one pick man yeah, a lot, lot of fist bumping going on right right it's kind of crazy that this will be the first time the organization has ever had the number one pick i mean i i that comes it's it's a great opportunity but that's a totally kind of a lot of pressure too isn't it yeah i I i think so i mean anytime you know you have the 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 number one overall pick i mean i think it definitely brings uh, a level of um you know maybe maybe a little anxiety right but at the same time but more than that probably um a level of excitement to the organization. I mean, we get to you know pick you know first overall. Um, the way we um, 
do our draft and the way we get to know players, it is such a organizational effort. And so super excited for the people that are going to be digging in on these players um, over the next eight months. It's been a while since you've picked anywhere, anywhere near the top, really. Um, how much different is it? And maybe that's something you're going to have to sort of figure out. But, you know, compared to when, you know, I feel like you're always picking in like the late teens or the 20s. Right. And obviously you want to pick lower. Um, but how does it change how you bring what you do for the draft into making that decision at the top? Yeah, I think uh, that, that's, a, that's a great point. I mean, when you're picking where we picked, you know, like you were saying, these last, you know, last decade, you know, Fortunately, that means your your team, your major league team, is probably done done pretty well. So um, that's a good thing. But this this is a little bit of a game changer in that way. Um, I think from a strategic standpoint, I don't think we're going to do anything um, different necessarily, other than try to get to know these players as best as we possibly can. Um, like I mentioned, um, organizationally, we do a lot to to get to know the players, not only. Um, on the field, but but off the field, and I think you know when you have a little bit more opportunity, you know when you when you pick so high, um, I'm sure we'll want to think about exactly how we um, we we think about the players that we're on and things like that, um, how we spend how we're spending our time. But in terms of strategy, it's get the best player. Wow, and at least you won't have anyone who can pick your pocket ahead of, right ahead of you or things like that so you can decide who the best guy is and you are guaranteed to get him if if you want him that that's right and I think that's you know when, when you think about um what our approach we're going to be uh, I don't think anything's going to change right like yes we do have the number one pick and that's super exciting but um we're just trying to take the best players that we possibly can um and like yeah the draft is at this point it's eight months away so we're going to spend all of our time trying to get to know all the players as best as we possibly can so when it's our turn to pick we're, we're ready right so so people understand it's not you probably have your follow list from the summer and things like that and it's not like that changes dramatically you know your follow list is still going to be the same at this point whether you pick one or 29 or, or wherever it is, it's not until later that you start trying to figure out who might be there for you, uh, right? So I would imagine that right now it's still status quo, right? Yeah, th that's right. I mean, that, that's a great point. I think you said it perfectly. Um, right now we're still trying to get to know the class, right? And um, that starts really um, while the prior year's draft is, is kind of going on, right? Our scouts start the process for that next year's draft. Um, kind of when the when the when the current draft that we're on is uh, is in process. So um, you know, and so if you if you think about it that way, we're still in the early stages of getting to know uh, the class and and getting a good understanding of of them as as players and as people. Um, but we got a, a lot of work ahead of us. And uh, again, just picking first that brings a additional level of excitement. Obviously, no one's decided who's who you're taking yet. I tried to ask you before we started recording, <laughs> so good for you for not giving it up right away, but it's way too early for that. But I think it's sort of interesting, I think looking at what you guys have done in the draft, uh, you know, there's been a proclivity for guys who really can hit, college hitters, you know, uh, in, in early rounds anyway, right? And at least as of right now, the top players in this class all kind of fit into that bucket of the kind of player you already like. I don't know if you've gotten your head around the, you know, how, how the, that Venn diagram might 
but might match up. But I mean, is it exciting to you that this seems to be a class that the, the strength is a, a group that you guys tend to kind of lean towards more often than not? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think especially at, at this part of the year and this part of calendar, I think we want to stay super open-minded about about who can be there. I mean, you, you never know what can happen. Um, you know, players will you know improve their stock. Um, you know, some players you know they can start to um, you know their stock can you know slide. I mean, because again, we're we're eight months away, so we don't exactly know what's going to happen. But I think um, the best thing that we can do right now is stay completely open-minded, um, completely unbiased about who could be there, and just focus on the the scouting process, and then let the decision process kind of take care of itself when when we get to that point. What are your thoughts? Let's put aside the fact that you just won the thing, um, but just in general, like your thoughts on the draft lottery, just as a as a as a concept. I kind of see it as something that's brought like a, a lot more excitement to to baseball and and the draft in particular, and that's always been something that I've cared about. Um, I think it's great. I'm curious from from your maybe front office standpoint. I'm sure it's nerve wracking, but like, what do you, what do you think of having this be a, a part of the annual draft process yeah i mean i think it's you know in in general i think it's it brings a another level of excitement to uh to our game you know i mean waking up and, and coming into the day we had a we had a two percent chance to, to to be the first pick and wow we we got it so i think um in general i think you know of course we did not have the year at the major league level um that we that we would have liked right you know, you know thankfully we been able to have uh, some sustained success years, and I think that's been it's been it's been great. Um, but you know, two percent chance, and then but you actually again didn't have the year we wanted, but we have the first pick. That's that's really cool. I mean, don't gloat too much. You know, the A's, Rockies, Royals, you know, with their eighteen percent chance, are not too happy with you right now. So like, you don't want you, <laughs> you don't want to shove that two percent you know, in their faces too much. I don't think. No, no, <laughs> a- absolutely not. And, and all those all those clubs, they do it. They do a phenomenal job, you know. But it's, it's just, you know, when you when you try to wrap wrap your head around it, it's like, wow, you know, like you said, we've we've never had the, the first pick. I think the last time we picked in the, in the top five, I think was 2013, maybe. Um, yeah, that sounds right. So it's 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 been a while, you know. Yeah, you pick you pick number two like five times, but you hadn't done that since like 1992. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I think most people when they think. Cleveland and like top of the draft, they tend to think Francisco Lindor. I think he's the guy who you hope to find that kind of impact player. I mean, totally. throughout the draft, but especially when you're picking in the top of the fridge, you talk about the excitement and the pressure that comes with it, right? The hope is that you don't just get a good player, you get a guy who can help change a franchise direction. Totally. I mean, again, you know, when you're when you're picking that high, um, you know, in in in, in theory, like those are you know the, the better players, right, or, or the players that are toward the top of the draft. So it, it is an exciting time. Um, at the same time, uh, I think one of the things we take pride in organizationally is to try to find value all throughout the draft. So yeah, we do have the first pick, but that's not going to change our approach in trying to um, make every selection count. Sure. I mean, right now the excitement is over the top pick because of what just transpired with the, totally. the lottery. But, uh, yes, 20 rounds, there's there's a lot of talent to, to be had and players all up and down. So we, I think uh, we know that. Our listeners probably know that too. So we're, we can talk about the other 19 rounds another time. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
so you were saying you've been with Cleveland for 17 years, is that what you said? Yeah, so right. I started uh, and right around right around now, so no, November um, 2006, I started uh, my internship with Cleveland and, and somehow <laughs> have uh, I've been here ever, ever since. Yeah, so, and, and you've done international scouting, you've done domestic scouting, and now you're in this, uh, you know, this sort of in the director's chair, so, so to speak. I'm curious, from, from your vantage point, like, even from the time that you started as an intern, the draft has changed, obviously the rules have changed, the interest in the draft continues to, to, to rise. Like, from, from your vantage point, what has your take been just on sort of how everything has changed to the point where we have a half-hour national TV show to find out who has the number one pick? Yeah, it's, I mean, I, mean, I, think, you, I think you just said it, right? I mean, it's the, the amount of, of excitement um, over the years that the draft, you know, everybody loves the draft, right? It, it's just a, it's a thing that, you know, a, no matter what organization you're in, it, you're in um, I think, you know, front offices, scouts, um, they they really just enjoy sort of like, you know, the chase, the uncertainty um, uh, that the draft brings. Um, but just seeing how the process has evolved over the years, um, I think it's I think it's great for the game and it's, and it's exciting. And um, we have this opportunity um, in front of us. You know, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to deviate you know, away from what we do, which is try to get to know players really, really well and, and try to take the, the best ones that we can. I'm sure, like, listen, even if the lottery hadn't gone your way, you were going to be picking decently high. You knew you had a, a great opportunity here. But how, like, how fired up are you just to, to get going? Like, you sound like if you could go see a game tomorrow, <laughs> you, you would be ready. To, you'd be, like, you're checking Oregon State and West Virginia and all these other, you know, teams that have some of the guys that are being mentioned as the top guys, but I bet you, like, you're chomping at the bit already, aren't you? Oh, we're, we're, we certainly are. And, I mean, it, it's it's funny because of, like you said, we, you know, the lottery was, was tonight. We found out kind of kind of where, you know, where we're picking and, and those types of things. At the same time, and, and you know this very well, too, um, our scouts have been working on, you know, the 2024 draft class for for quite a while now, right? So um, while it is a special day, right? We, you know, the lottery, you, you kind of find out where you pick at, at the same time. Um, the work has, has been going on and, and that's, that's really where you, you make the difference in our scouts, their ability to know the players, know the class and, and put us in position to, to make decisions and, and they do a great job at that. All right, last question. You know, we, we talk all, a lot of times about how the guy who goes number one has a kind of spotlight on him to see how he does. You know, the spotlight's going to be, like, on you and on Chris. Right? Everyone's <laughs> going to be watching to see where you're, like, oh, here he is. Here he is. Do you have some good disguises picked out <laughs> so people don't realize that, you're, uh, that you're, you're, you're going to see a certain guy? Yeah, I, had, I hadn't necessarily thought, thought about that. I'm here for you. Maybe I, <laughs> maybe I should, should think about that. But I, I think um, organizationally, you know, this is going to be um, such a team effort. Um, such an organizational effort. Um, there's so many people from many different departments that spend a lot of time on the draft digging into players. So there's no um, one person or two people that are that are gonna um, that are gonna drive this thing. It's it is such an organizational lift, and I think it's um, you know the way we're able to collaborate as, as a group. Um, I, I think it's just a special time, and and I think it it it's a really a good 
team bonding and team building experience too. So this is just going to add a little level of uh, additional excitement to that. I can recommend some hat and glass combinations. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll get into another time. But Paul, thank you so much for, for taking some time. I'll let you get back to your group and maybe continue to, to celebrate uh, the, oh, the yeah. lottery win. And few, few uh, more fist bumps coming we'll, tonight. There you go. Sure. And we'll be uh, we'll be we'll be watching to see where you're where you're on the road as the as the spring transpires. Thanks yeah, so much. Absolutely. Thank you, John. That's Paul Gillespie from the Cleveland Guardians, and we'll be right back with more of the MLB Pipeline podcast. Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ralph here with some Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We've been talking a lot about the draft lottery and the draft order. Uh, other things going on here at the winter meetings. Some uh, a, a big signing. Uh, Jackson Churio. He was here in Nashville. They uh, made it official. It's it, This deal seemed to kind of linger on for a while. We heard about it like a week ago, I feel like, um, eight years, $82 million club options for, I, I, I keep wanting to say like 2023 and 20, but we're, we're, we're talking into the 2030s for guys. Yeah. Those like, aren't real years. Yeah. Um, but, uh, potential to earn, uh, up to, I believe something around $140 million largest contract ever for a player with, Zero big league experience, 19 years old, uh, skyrocketed up our rankings over the past year or so. Um, a lot of a lot of comparisons to uh, someone else who made a, a giant leap up our rankings and then uh, became a superstar and, and uh, Acuna. What do you guys think? Fair comparison? I mean, let's let them play an inning in the big leagues. Oh, come oh, on. Come on. You, well, you, you spend your whole life writing about these guys. Exactly. And projecting exactly. and putting I, grades on them and casting judgment. The, oh, suddenly you're Mr. Comp? No, I'm not come saying on. comp. But I'm saying you can talk whether he's in he, the same echelon. The question was literally, do you think that's a fair comparison? I didn't look at it as like a straight comp. Like, can he be that good of a player? You didn't listen to the question. No, I did. I just interpreted the question in a different fashion. Like, like Jonathan will be, can be Mr. Sensitive again. He, he's, he's, <laughs> he's in love with the draft lottery. He's, he's just in love, but yeah, no, I, I think it's, he's that type of talent. He's a potential transcendent talent who has unbelievable tools at a young age and has accomplished a lot and got to slow start last year when they were using the pre-tack ball. And then, Looked like the Jack. I was gonna say the Jackson Churio of old, but I, you can't call Jackson Churio old. Um, no, I mean it's one of these deals too, where if he's as good as he's supposed to be, the Brewers probably save a lot of money. But at the same time, like I, I'd have a hard time turning down eighty million dollars at, at age nineteen or age twenty. Um, it's just a deal that makes a lot of sense for both sides. They both get they they both took a risk, but they both got some certainty too. Um, and I think it's smart. I mean, the, the Brewers are not a, a large revenue franchise, and this ensures that Jackson Trio is probably going to be there for, if he's as good as we think he is, at least 10 years. And I think that's really positive. So um, I, I know there's, there's, you know, you hear some from some agents, they don't like these types of deals, but 
I can see why the Brewers would give it to him, and I could see why he, why he would take it. You know, I think it makes a lot of sense, and I think the Brewers sort of not even hedge their bets, but like there's a little protection because of the options. You know that they didn't like go all in and give him 140 million over 10 years before he played. Like some of it's a little incentive based, right? So the, they'll those will kick in, uh, assuming you know he's as good as it seems like he's going to be. And all joking aside about comps, I mean he has he has every chance to be an incredibly exciting, dynamic, and special player in the big leagues. And we're going to find that out, you know, sooner rather than, than later. But I do think that, uh, I, you know, I agree with you, Jim, that it kind of works well for, for both sides, you know, at least on paper. Does, does he open the season in the big leagues because of this? Sounds like it. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's got to be given every, every chance to, um, you know, the outfield is a little crowded in Milwaukee and you don't block Jackson Churio with anybody, but you know, they, they do have some, some big league outfield depth, you know, Christian Yelich and Sal Freilich and Garrett Mitchell, uh, and, Joey uh, Weimer. Right. Uh, we were talking about this the other day. And so there's, there's some personnel there, but none of them are going to get in the way of Jackson Churio playing in the big leagues. But you know they'll have to sort of decide how that's going to how that's going to work uh, in, in terms of the other outfielders and where they're going to play and how they're going to get at bats. Uh, so we could see the top two prospects in baseball, both named Jackson. Jackson Churio and Jackson Holiday on opening day rosters. There's uh, some talk right now uh, about Jackson Holiday being giving being given every chance to make that opening day roster. And we we talked about this throughout the year, and I think I think at some point over the course of the year on the podcast here we you guys put odds on it. And uh, what what are you thinking now? What I guess we can go with a, a simple yes or no. Does Jackson Holiday make the Orioles opening day roster? Jim? No. Jonathan? Yes. All right, moving right along. <laughs> I'll be contrary. I don't think so. I honestly don't think so. I hate to agree with Jim. I know you do. <laughs> uh, I, they've got so much depth. Now, I think the one thing that could change the dynamic is if they make a trade for, say, a Dylan Cease or another starting pitcher, something along those lines, and they trade some of that infield depth away, then I think you could see it happening. Uh, and I think, like, I mean, Jim, what happens if he goes in and is just unbelievable throughout spring training? Do you think that changes things at all? But I, I really think personnel would have to be shifted for some of that starting pitching that they need for there to, to really be room. Otherwise there's not a real good reason other than uh, one of those PPI picks. Yeah. Um, I was going to say how, how much does that factor into the equation? He's going to be up. He's going to be up. I don't think point. it factors a ton. 
honestly, because I think the Orioles are 100% in win-now mode, and they're going to yep. have the, the the team, the players who are best equipped to help them win rather than – because, like, look, I love Jackson Holiday as a player, but, like, just because he makes your opening roster doesn't mean he's going to have a, a rookie of the year caliber season. It's not like that's a given. Um, you know, it's not always as easy as it was this year when the top two prospects in baseball were Gunnar Henderson and Corbin Carroll, and then they, they're they the rookies of the year. Maybe, maybe, the, maybe the Jacksons will be rookies of the year next year, but I, I just like fun. from what I agree with what Jonathan said, they have so much infield depth right now, and as talented as he is, he's played 18 games above double A, and he was fine in triple A, but he didn't tear it up. I just I think you're, you know, I don't see any need to rush him. And I feel like they'd be rushing him a little bit. I, I think you let him play, you know, let him play a month in AAA, see what the big league team looks like, uh, you know, see what he looks like and, and go from there. I, if it were me, yes, I'd love to get the PPI pick, but I wouldn't force it. And in this case, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be a consideration for me. Okay. Um, so talking about the Jacksons there, let's talk about some trades now. Uh, we started off the winter meetings uh, on Sunday night. There was a trade, and it only involved one current pro- current prospect, uh, Cole Phillips, who was uh, has not even pitched a professional inning yet, uh, but he's the only ranked prospect in this deal. But it did include some former uh, very highly ranked prospects. Jared Kelnick, Marco Gonzalez, Evan White traded for uh, from Seattle to Atlanta for Jackson Coar and Cole Phillips. So we have one, two, three former top 100 prospects. And four former and, first round picks, I think. Yeah, I mean, so uh, an interesting trade here. Um, what were what were your impressions of this? Well, my first impression was really this has to go down as I'm landing in Nashville. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then you know because the first thing you hear is five player deal, and the Braves and Mariners are both my team, so I panicked. Uh, <clears throat> there was only the one actual prospect in, in Cole Phillips, who, uh, and I'll start there, is interesting because he uh, had first round arm and then had Tommy John surgery, but. Uh, got paid, you know, got got drafted and, and signed anyway, and he's yet to throw a professional pitch. So we don't really know what Cole Phillips is going to be. The Mariners will try to figure that out uh, in 2024, but he has, you know, the stuff uh, to to be a starting pitcher, uh, I think. And but let's let him get going first. Uh, be, before we pronounce anything, uh, I put him in you know somewhere right in the middle of the of the current Mariners top thirty, just because he's such a big question mark. And then you know the other guys are all you know as you mentioned a lot of former top prospects. And I think that for the Braves for this to work, Jared Kelnick is going to end up being one of their starting outfielders. And uh, the glimpses that he started to show last year, I think he'll he'll do long term. Marco Gonzalez could pitch in the back end of their rotation possibly. And then who knows with Evan White? I mean, he's had so many injuries. He had hip surgery. Uh, you know, he hasn't played in the big leagues in two years after signing, uh, you know, a, a big contract as a prospect, uh, relatively big. Uh, so uh, 
that's a little bit of a, a wild card there. You know, I, I, I don't really totally get this trade um, in either direction. And the Mariners trying to sort of shed some salary. Maybe Jackson Kowar, who uh, ended up with the Braves but never pitched for him because he got acquired during the offseason. Um, it would be fun to have a Jackson Kowar Braves jersey. Would be like one of those deals because he never actually played for them. But uh, maybe he can help out of their bullpen. They can sort of tease some of that stuff back out. But it was just a little bit of a curious trade. And I think you know, we're not going to know for a while until we see Cole Phillips over a longer period of time what he, you know, what he actually is and what that does in terms of you know who quote unquote won this trade. Yeah, I mean, Phillips uh, was the number seven prospect on the Braves list. It, he was, he was, uh, then he had some helium prior to the Tommy John surgery, right? He's like a, a triple digit throwing right hander. Yeah, he was uh, in my neck of the draft, and there was talk he was going to be the first Texas high school pitcher to go in the first round since Grayson Rodriguez. And, his velocity made a big jump and he hit triple digits and then he blew out in, in April, I want to say of 2022. But fortunately for him, he'd pitched enough and been scouted and cross-checked enough that, you know, the Braves took him the second round and, you know, he was going to still go pretty good and get paid because teams had enough time to, to do work on him before he actually blew out. Funny uh, that we're, we're talking about Evan White here because we're talking about the Cheerio deal earlier and you know biggest deal ever for a player who hasn't had any big league time and and uh you know i was thinking at, at the time when we were talking about that you know some of some of those type of deals have worked out well and and others simply have not and you know evan white's one of those that has not uh scott kingery one has not ozzy albies worked out pretty well. And how about the um, fact that you remember the whole controversy when Kelnick would not sign one of those deals when the Mariners were trying to lean on him to sign one before they'd promote him. Um, that's right. And you know, they probably are glad they didn't do that deal now or they're glad that he turned them down. Uh, another trade that when we <laughs> just, uh, you know, a half hour ago when we, when we mentioned it said it was a, a we said we had a trade and a half or a trade and three quarters. Now it's now we have fully two trades because it is now official just in the time that we've been recording here. Uh, a rare Yankees-Red Sox trade. The Yankees acquiring Alex Verdugo, another former top 100 prospect, for Richard Fitz, Greg Weissert, and Nicholas Judas, a 2023 draft pick. And uh, this, guys, this one is obviously fresh, but... Uh, Jim, these are two of your teams. Yep. First impressions here. Um, it seemed like the Red Sox were determined to trade Alex Verdugo, and I think it's a decent prospect haul for him. I'm I'm probably a little lower on Alex Verdugo. I, I don't know if you guys are big Alex Verdugo fans. I just think he's like a corner outfielder. Who, you know, last three years, 777, 732, 740 ops, despite playing in Fenway Park, which is a great place to hit kind of a lackadaisical defensive player. I just, I don't know. I, I look at him and I see more of an underachiever. I, I'm not a big Alex Verdugo fan. And like prospects aren't sure things. These aren't top 100 prospects, but they're they're interesting. I mean, 
Weissert's an older, you know, he's 28 years old. He's just graduated to the big leagues in this last year. He's a sinker slider, or you should call him a sinker sweeper reliever. He's okay. He had some interesting numbers in the minors. He hasn't been much in the big leagues, but, but Fitz and Judas are both kind of interesting. You know, Fitz, you know, classic Yankees who have this gift for taking pitchers in the middle around the draft and extracting value out of them. Fitz was a sixth round pick back in 2021. He went into the year as a potential first round pick, injured his foot, barely pitched. Yankees got him, got healthy, and he's looked pretty good. He's got a, a four seam fastball with a lot of cut and ride on it and induced vertical break. So it, it's, it's a fastball with a lot of good metrics to it. It's plus fastball. The slider can be plus at times. It's it's the sweeper that the Yankees like. He can make it into more of a harder, shorter cutter um, as well. Um, he's got, you know, he's got his changeup. It, it's got, I think it could be an average pitch. It's got some fade to it. And I mean, he had a great year last year. Pitched the whole year in double A. Struck out 163 guys, 152 thirds, 152 and two thirds innings. So, I mean, I think he's a guy who could, you know, maybe be a number four starter. Um, so he's kind of interesting. And then, you know, Judas was a interesting guy in this year's draft. Again, from my neck of the draft, Louisiana Monroe, eighth round pick. But I, I liked him more than eighth round pick. We ranked him 175 on the uh, draft top 250. Um, six foot eight, 230 pounds, velocity finally ticked up. He's always, you know, been considered pretty projectable. Um, 91 to 95, touched 100 during the spring. Opened the year in the bullpen. They put him in the rotation. His velocity actually went up at the end of the year when he started. Um, you know, with that size, you get angle, you get extension. Your pitches get on hitters quickly. He's got a solid slider that, that, that's got some, you know, horizontal and vertical action to it. His changeup isn't as far along. I, I think he's probably a reliever. Um, he pitched a lot this spring, so the Yankees didn't have him make his pro debut. But, you know, he'll probably get some innings as a starter and see how the changeup looks. But, yeah, I mean, I, it, it seemed like the Red Sox were – Verdugo was not really in their long-term plans. It's a year away from free agency. I think he kind of frustrated the Red Sox, leaving them wanted more. And they, they got – you know, Weiser will have a chance to make their bullpen, and they got two interesting pitching prospects. I have not yet contemplated – uh, where, where Richard Fitz, who was 12th on the Yankees list, will go on the Red Sox list. The, the Red Sox have one of the weakest collections of pitching prospects in baseball, so it helps in that regard. Um, I'm just doing this on the, off the top of my head. I, I, he'll probably fits. go in a similar spot on the on the Red Sox list. Like it, If we were redoing the list it's from like scratch, <laughs> I think he'd fall in the 6 to 10 range. He's probably going to be 10th or 11th on the list when we when we update it. As soon as we get the chance, Jim, I, I uh, I'm reading in to to this quite a bit here, but I think you must have been excited uh, by Judas. I'm, I'm reading your <laughs> your blurb on him on the top for the first time, right? Uh, you, or did you read it? Uh, did you, is this a? I'm sure I've, I'm sure I've read it at some okay. point, but you you referred to his changeup as his cambio, so I think you're oh, you're feeling frisky when you. No, I'll, when I'll, I'll, I'll give you a peek behind the the curtain on that. <laughs> if uh, I don't like using the same word twice in the same sentence, so since I'd already What's used changeup earlier in the season, early in the sentence, earlier in the season, earlier in the sentence. That's why I went with Cambio <laughs> in second reference. So there, there was no friskiness there about the changeup. I was just trying to not 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 bore the reader by using changeup twice in the span of twelve words. 
right. They thank you for that. All right. Let's answer a question from the mailbag here. Uh, it comes from our old friend Stevie D at Stevie D Ailes 97 on Twitter. Uh, says, if you had to choose the top three picks based on best fit, then who do you see the Guardians, Reds, and Rockies taking? I mean, Stevie D is all over it. The, the draft lottery just happened. The ink hadn't even dried. <laughs> and he's, he's already wanting to know who these teams are going to take. And you guys did, you guys did a, uh, not a mock, but you guys, uh, a few weeks ago on the podcast, you guys made. We drafted for fun. We picks. drafted players for we fun. We drafted for right. fun. I will say, I will say this, right? The, as it seems right now, the draft class strength is college hitters. And I think both the Guardians and Reds have shown a, uh, a penchant for taking that kind of hitter. So if I had to, to guess, that will be the, 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 you know, barring something, somebody separating themselves that we're not thinking of, I do think that the top two picks will be um, some combination of the three guys that we had in our, in our story, which is J.J. Weatherholt from West Virginia, Nick Kurtz from Wake Forest, and Travis Bazana from Oregon State. So I, I would say if I were going to mock it right now, Jim, I would go Weatherholt 1 to Cleveland and Kurtz 2 to Wake Forest, which is sort of how, how we had it. And then as much as I love Travis Bazana, and he certainly could figure in, I, my, my prediction is that Chase Burns is going to pitch well enough, and we all know the Rockies need pitching and are always looking for it that Chase Burns go, would be three to the Rockies. Okay. I'm going to disagree with you on all three picks. I, I agree with your general sentiment. <laughs> nice. But I think, like, and I know Steve D's asking a question. You're not going to necessarily draft for fit. But if you were at the top of the draft, what do the Guardians need more than anything else? Their out, starting outfield had a, only a few more home runs than you, me, and Jason last year. That Juan Straw Brennan outfield only only had a few more homers than we did. They need power. You have Kurtz going. I have Nick Kurtz. If if we're going for fit, I think they need Nick Kurtz. And I know Kyle Manzardo's on the way, but you have a DH. You can stick somebody in left field. Um, Those three guys combined for only eleven homers more than we did. Um, And Miles Straw slugged two ninety seven. So I think if you're going for fit, they should take Nick Kurtz for the Reds. And the funny thing is, I think you know, you look at all the position players on the Reds, they could really use a pitcher. I don't think there's a pitcher to take at number two. So I think they're just Agreed. taking the best available player. So for me, that would be J.J. Weatherholt right this year, uh, right now, as we go into the yeah. new year. Okay. And then three for the Rockies – and I'm not, I'm not being a, a homer here. I, I wonder if I could say – I'm going to be a little bold here. I think Charlie Condon is going to pass Jack Caglianone among SEC sluggers um, once as the season progresses. He's got more versatility to him as a position player. He doesn't pitch like Caglianone can, but he, I think he can play a, a very competent corner outfield. So I, I think Charlie Condon of Georgia – could sneak into that number three spot. I, 
I feel like I've 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 led us slightly astray on Chase Burns, who's who's talented. Like he throws hard as hell, but as we continue to get feedback on the draft, a lot that he's got to prove he can commit. He can throw strikes and command his fastball. I don't think Chase Burns is going to be a top three pick, and I don't think he's going to be the top pitcher taking us. Top pitcher might be Hagen Smith. The pitching's murky, but so anyway, that's my 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 rambling. Uh, I I will disagree with all your picks, Jonathan. So, dang, Stevie D, thanks as always. Always provocative me. questions. Always, it never fails. Never fails. We can't we can't pick his questions every week, but we could. Uh, thanks to Stevie D, and thanks also to uh, Guardians Vice President of Scouting Paul Gillespie for joining us and on. Short notice and right off of learning that the team had the number one overall pick. Thanks to him and thanks everybody for listening. That is going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks again, everybody. See you next week.